pay taxes. In, in some parts of the world, no one pays taxes because everyone avoids them. But certainly in, in some parts of the world, that really upsets people. Pastors don't pay taxes. Why is this all about money? Pastors are preying on people always asking for money. Churches are preying on people always asking for money. Certainly, my experience of a church in Africa was they had four offerings before the sermon. And then after the sermon, they threw in a couple more for good measure. And the poor people came into the church with their pockets full and and they left with them empty. Another criticism is churches don't do enough. They should spend all their money on the poor instead of giant buildings. And some other criticism was pastors make so much money. You see, the world looks on the church. And the world makes judgments and criticisms about the church. And 40% of those criticisms were about how the church handles money. And every day, each of us come in contact with money, or we probably would like to come in contact with money, but money is, is, is an everyday part of our life, and we can't get away from it. And so we need to address it, and we need to see what God's word has to tell us as a church and as individuals about money. You see, the Bible speaks very, very clearly on the subject of money. And and Jesus spoke very openly and clearly on the subject of money. Uh, Our our brother Chad, he's written a book. And in chapter 6 of his book, it's called Trust in Stuff. And there's a quote from that book that I just would like to share to help us get an idea of what the Bible has on this. The Bible has more to say about money than any other specific topic. It's covered throughout scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testament. About 15% of every word we have recorded from the lips of Christ are related to money and possessions in one way or another. God's word is not silent about money. Jesus himself was not silent. And as we see from that quote, from that fact, uh, over 15% of every word we have recorded of Jesus was about money and possessions. Now, if you don't believe that, I'm sure Brother Chad would be happy to, to show you his personal research or the research that he, he got that from. But there is a fact. The Bible has well over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And yet, even though the Bible has so much teaching on money... Sadly, there is so much wrong teaching and wrong attitude about money within the church and within the lives of the believers. You see, there's some people in churches that have a very negative attitude about money. And what they think is that the only way to be holy is to be poor. Now, I don't think those types of churches go down well in some parts of the world. But in other parts of the world, it seemed to be holy. seemed to be holy to be poor. And then on the other end of the extreme, some churches are very, very positive about money. 
We, we, we have a, 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 a pastor of, a, of an organization of churches, and his, his name is Isaiah Wealth. Now, we get a good idea in his title what his church is all about. It's all about becoming wealthy. I, I believe in, in, in Nigeria, in Lagos, there is the rich church. And it's where the rich people go. And it's where the poor people go to become rich. And, and their whole emphasis is that a Christian's success is measured by their wealth. And if you are wealthy, that means you are a successful Christian. So some pastors seem to specialize on the subject of giving. And every sermon and every verse in the Bible leads to giving. My favorite example of this is Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah. The lions were smart because they didn't eat Daniel. And because they didn't eat Daniel, they got a much bigger feast the next day when all the other people were thrown in. And so that means you put your seed offering in and the next day you'll get lots more. And then that's genuine teaching. That people, and how is that? Is that what God's word is saying there? No, it's not. And this wrong teaching can happen. And, and, and on, on the other side, we can have people that do no teaching on money. And then that's because they don't feel it's the business of the church to tell people how to use their money. Or maybe their fear is that if they tell the church members how they should use money and what they should be doing with it, the church members will go and find a church which tells them what they want to hear. Friends, we have to ask God to help us. To help us to, to, to open his word. To see what he is telling us. And as we come in this series, and it was going to be three Sundays, and it's now probably going to be four, and who knows where it could lead. But as we go through this series, I want to challenge you to make sure you have your Bibles open. Because as we go through this series, you are going to hear things that you might not want to hear. And if it's just me saying them, don't listen to them. But if it's God's word that is saying it to us, we have to listen because it's God's word and it's God's church and it's his foundation and we have to do things God's way. So there's a challenge. If you don't like what you hear me say, that's fine. But check it against God's word. And if what I am saying is there in God's word, whether we like it or not, we've got to do something about it. And if we ignore it, we're moving away from God. And if we ask God to help us, he will bless us. Because God's word is full of encouragement for those who are obedient to his words. I don't want to give you a list of things to do and not to do. When you get lists of things to do or not to do, you get a church of Pharisees. You get a church of people with a list, did, did, didn't do. Yes, excellent. I'm, I'm, that's not what we need. We need a heart relationship with God that drives us to do things. So what I want to do, with the Lord's help, is set out biblical principles 
principles from God's word that will guide us as individuals and guide us as a church of how to use money to God's glory, how to use money as God wants us to do as he set out in his word. And as we set out these biblical principles, I then want to look at the application. What does that mean? How does that look in everyday life? How does that affect you and your pocket and your bank balance and your decisions? How does that affect me? It's for us all, not just you. It's for us all here. And then as I mentioned uh, a week or so ago, we're wanting to do workshops alongside this sermon series. And we will be holding from time to time workshops when we look at the real practical side of this. How can we make money in Cyprus in a way that honors God? How can we budget and use our money wisely in a way that will honor God? And so on the Sundays, by Sundays, we'll get the principles. And then God willing, brothers and sisters will help us in the workshops. And we will discuss and work together for how to practically uh, apply that. So that, that's, that's where we're going. That's why it's here. And so we have over 2,000 verses to choose from on a subject of money. And, and we will be going through a lot of those verses, not all of them today. But we need to start somewhere. And, and maybe where we are going to start from will be a bit of a surprise. We're going to start here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. Exodus 20 is where God gives his Ten Commandments to his chosen people. He saved them from the Egyptians. He's brought them out of the, out of the, the, the captivity that they're in. And they're on their way to the promised land. And he wants to guide them in how they should live. And he gives them Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, it says, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, clearly, this is the eighth commandment. And on face value, it's very, very easy to understand, isn't it? It just simply says, don't steal. Now, we're going to come back to that practical application about not stealing later. Not today, probably in the weeks to come. But I, I believe that there is a deeper meaning and a principle that's implied here that's so important for us to grasp at a foundational level. And what this is, just let's think about the definition of the word steal. What is it to steal? And the dictionary tells us this. To steal is to take another person's property without permission or legal right and without intending to return it. Yeah? So to steal is to take something that is somebody else's without their permission, without any legal right, and you're not going to give it back. That is stealing. Now to be able to steal something from somebody, somebody must own it. Yeah? We're all following that logic? To, to be able to steal from somebody, somebody has to own it. And so we have this principle here in God's word 
that God promotes. God is the author of private ownership of possessions. Yeah. God has made this and God has made us as his people on this earth and the responsibility that he's given to us is to be those that own things. So I have the right from God to have possessions. You have the right from God to have possessions. God has given you the right to have money, to have different things. And this is from God. And God is protecting that right here in this verse by saying, you shall not steal. And this isn't just an Old Testament uh, decree. In in the New Testament, we we see that the, the principle of private ownership of possessions is there. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And it's saying here there's ownership. You can own things, and if someone owns something, that is theirs, and it should be paid to them. It should be given back to them, or whatever the situation is. In 1 Corinthians 6, Uh, And verses 9 to 11, there's a list, a long list of unrighteous behavior, of of sinful things. And stealing is right in the middle. And why does God outlaw stealing? Because he is protecting your possessions. God has given us this principle of private ownership of possessions. Ephesians and chapter 4 and and verse 28, again it's about the thief and it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And again we see here God is protecting possessions and showing us how to gain possessions. To gain money is a principle from God. To have possessions is a principle and a blessing from God. God protects the private ownership of property. And this means that God is for and not against the private ownership of property. And maybe this evening on Zoom, we can can open this up a bit more. Because some people say, well, actually, in the New Testament, uh, in the early part of Acts, The church shared everything. And because the church shared everything, that there is some way of uh, socialism, some way of uh, communism being right and everyone having uh, a shared pocket. Well, I think that when we look in God's word, and we can chat about that later in more detail, no, what there is is this overriding principle that private ownership of property is not wrong, Private ownership of property has been given to us by God. There is responsibility with that. And of course we should look out for the poor. Of course we should be generous. That's another situation. But the the foundational principle that I'm wanting us to build on this morning as we go forward is that the ownership of stuff 
The ownership of money is a right, is a blessing that's been given to us by God. And getting the principle of ownership right is essential for getting money right. Yeah? Because we need to ask the question, who owns the money? Who owns the money? So, let's think like this. On the floor in front of me is 100 TL. Actually, let's, let's make it a bit more exciting. It's $100, yeah? So, so we've all got an idea of the value of that $100. It is there on the floor. Whose is it? Whose is it? Well, it's not yours, because it's on the floor, yeah? You may think it's yours because you dropped it. You may claim it as yours because you might have liked to have dropped it. Now, in English, we have a saying that possession is nine-tenths of the law. And so we've all seen this $100 bill on the floor there, and we're all looking at thinking that would be quite nice, and Pastor James goes, picks it up, and puts it in his pocket. Whose is that $100 then? It could be strongly argued that it's mine. It's in my pocket. I possess it. It's not yours. It's, It's in my possession. It's become mine. Now, maybe if you dropped it, you might come up to me and say, excuse me, Pastor James, that is my money. Can I have it back? And I would say, of course. What's the serial number on it? (laughs) And if you could tell me the serial number, I would happily give it back to you. And if you couldn't, I'd say, sorry, until we can get this established, that it is yours, it's going to be mine. Now, a lot of possession is about what you actually have in, in, in your pocket. But let's think like this. What if you had $100 in your bank account? Whose money is that? Well, well, technically it's yours, but who has possession of it? The bank does, doesn't it? Or what about you've lent somebody that $100. Someone saw me put that $100 in my pocket. I was quite happy with it. And rather than coming and saying it was mine, they said, oh, I need to get something. Can you lend me that $100? Well, if I give them that $100, who owns that $100? Well, I would like to think that it's mine because I've lent it. And then the person that's got it thinks it's like theirs because they've probably spent it. And then where has it gone? You see, I think you can see what I'm saying. There's a problem about possession of money, isn't there? Because just the fact I've got it in my pocket doesn't necessarily mean it's mine. Just the fact that I've lent it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get it back. Just that it's in the bank. There's a situation here. Now, I don't know if you've studied banknotes carefully. I'm sure you have. We like the feel of them, don't we? We like the touch. The bigger the number, the, 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 the more exciting the feel is. But if you look at a banknote, you will realize that the currency has been issued by the central bank of that country. So, so in Turkey, on our liras, it's the Merkez Bankasa. In England, it's the Bank of England. Uh, in America, it's the Federal Reserve. Now, these countries, these central banks 
because they issue the money, they give that piece of paper a value. Yeah? So if I wrote a little thing out and, and made some notes of my own and called it the, the, the money of James and, and called them the swans, because my name's Swanson and I have the swan currency, uh, and, and I said to you, okay, you can come and you can buy swans off me. It's my currency. Would I get a queue of people coming to buy my money? Well, if you believe in crypto, you do. <laughs> but essentially what I'm trying to say is that there is no value behind me, so there's no value in this currency that I've just dreamt up. Money has its value in, in, the, in the today's system because the banks back it. And you could argue that the bank owns the money because the central banks created it and gave it value. So who owns all the money? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that is in front of us, around us, above us, the vast universe that goes on beyond our comprehension, it was made by God Almighty. Now, this notion, this fact, this truth that God created everything is fantastically humbling. And it's not very popular nowadays. And as Brother Bola was saying about his daughter Bim Bim coming and saying that we primates or whatever and this ancient man is quite close to what we are and perhaps we evolved. The reason that people promote the theory of evolution is because it gets rid of God out of the equation. People don't like a creator God because a creator God means he is the God who owns everything. He owns everything. And, and so the world resists this and the world goes against this and the world doesn't like this. And every time you open a biology book, every time you open a physics book, every time you open a history book, every time you just get educated in so many situations, you are told that this world came into existence out of well, Big Bang, possibly. Or some goo, possibly. Or, well, it doesn't really matter what, as long as it's not God. Who owns all the money? In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. The principle is God owns 100% of everything. It's all his. Everything is his. And this runs throughout the Bible. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8. And I'm sure you've heard this before. God is speaking through his prophet. And he says, the silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. 
All that gold in the Federal Reserve, all that gold dotted around the world, all that gold that's hidden away in personal wealth, it is God's. And all the silver is, and all the diamonds are, and all the houses are, and all the cars are, everything. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell within. It's not just the material objects that God owns. It's not just the money that God owns. God owns you and I because God is the creator. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, and in the middle there, just a short quote that I'll pull out. For the world and its fullness are mine. That's God speaking. God is declaring through that Psalm 50, this world is mine. And we can say, well, why is it yours? Because I made it. I created it. 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 11 reads like this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. That's quite a title, isn't it? I can see this being used in Africa to appreciate somebody. The greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. And and why does the chief get that? Because he's a chief. Why does God get this title? Yours is all the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God owns everything. Everything is his. 1 Corinthians 10 28 just simply says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And as I said, and as I'll underline again, the reality is God does not just own the world's money, but he owns the world and the universe. And he owns everyone, past, present, and future. And God, as the creator, owns everything. And he is Lord of lords. And so as we think of the Lord of lords and the King of kings, when we think of the creator God in the concept of money, we just need to take a moment to go back to that very beginning. And in that very beginning, God created man. He created Adam and Eve. And we read from that in Genesis, in that passage in the beginning. And he he made us different from animal kind. He made us in his image. And he made us to have a special relationship with God. And God himself was there. And, And Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. And God gave Adam and Eve the garden and the possessions of the garden to be theirs. He gave them that. They had private ownership of all those blessings that were given to them. And there was one thing they were told not to do. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 tells us what that is. There was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall 
not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God, when he created Adam and Eve, he knew what was good for them and he knew what was bad for them. And he gave them what was good for them. And he said, don't go for the bad. You eat from that tree, you shall surely die. And you know the story, don't you? You know what happened. Adam and Eve who were perfect. Adam and Eve who knew no pain, no suffering. Adam and Eve who had all their wants and desires provided from God in that perfect world around them looked on that tree. And the serpent came sneakily and attacked via the wife. And the husband didn't stand up and protect his wife like he was told he should do. And rather than leading, he let the wife lead him and they ate of the fruit. And in eating of the fruit, they rebelled against God. They said, rather than being with you, God, we're going our own way. We want to become gods ourselves. We want to know good and evil. We want to do this. And they were tricked and they sinned and they went the wrong way. And as a result, sin came into the world and sin separated them and sin separates us from God. They didn't die physically immediately, but they died spiritually immediately. They could no longer chat face to face with God the Lord They could no longer come into his presence because sin separated them. And spiritually, they were dead. And spiritually, each and every one of us is dead because we have sinned against God. We were born in iniquity. We come into this world as sinners. No one is righteous. No, not one. God, in his amazing mercy and grace, before time began, had a plan of how to rescue his people. And salvation in Christ restores the relationship. The punishment that we deserve for our sins was took by Christ on the cross. And in Romans 10, it puts it like this in verse 11. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame because there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. God made everything. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the owner of everything. And he bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, friends, this passage isn't talking about us getting riches from God so we can have a big car and a big house and and, and be mega wealthy. It's talking about something far more valuable. Our relationship with God is broken and the riches that he will give to us in calling upon the name of the Lord, in trusting in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, is salvation. The greatest riches that we can own, the greatest blessing that we can have is being made right with God. And so many people have caught up chasing money and they're chasing money and they gain money and they gain wealth. And then what happens? 
they die. Has anyone ever took any of their wealth with them once the doctor has signed a death certificate? The Egyptians thought that they would do. And the treasures that they buried with them for the afterlife are in the British Museum. And some of them are going back to Egypt as it should do for them to see and own as theirs. But the point being, it can't go with them. There's treasures in the museums in Cyprus that have been taken out of tombs because people put these treasures in the tombs thinking that these people will be able to take them to the afterlife. And you can't. This world, when we die, separates us from all possessions. The only possession that matters is being right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And unless you are right with the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you're right with God through Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how amazing your principles are about money. The most valuable thing you can have is your sins forgiven and being made right with God. Wealth lasts a lifetime. Being right with God through Jesus lasts for eternity. And if you have a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, our relationship changes just from calling the Lord, Lord of all. Everyone has to call God the Lord of all. They don't want to, but everyone will do. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But our relationship, if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, our relationship with God changes from just calling the Lord of Lord of all to be able to call God our heavenly Father. We get adopted into his family. We get brought into his family. And the principle of knowing God as Lord, the principle of knowing God as Lord of all helps and guides us in our relationship to money. And so I want just to highlight that the two principles that we've seen so far, and that's the one that I've just been speaking about, God owns everything and as we go forward that's what this is going to be built on our discussion our thoughts as we go forward in relationship to church and money in relationship to ourselves and money the foundation principle as we go forward is going to be that God owns everything God owns everything and then alongside that, as we started off, we saw that God is the author of privately owned propership, or the private ownership of property. God is the author of that. So what we have going on here is God owns everything. But while we're on this earth, we can have ownership of things. We own things. And we saw that by implication from the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. God protects the private ownership of things. 
1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 and 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 are instructions on giving and we're going to look at giving in, in later Sundays. But you can only give something if it is yours to give. You can only give something if it's yours to give. And this is God showing us in his word that he is the author of private ownership of property. In the letter to John, 1 John 3 and verse 17, it says, but if anyone has the world's goods, if anyone has property, if anyone has material advantage and sees a brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Yes, we, we'll be learning about giving, but you can only give if you have the world's goods and you can only own the world's goods if God has given a principle of private ownership of property. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and never be content with what you have. Property and money are things that we can own. And it's God's gift to us to be able to own it. And it's God's right to mankind that we can own things. But what is far better than ownership of stuff is the fact that God has promised to his people he will never leave them nor forsake them. So, so God owns everything. And we could explain that the private ownership of property that we enjoy with this. Perhaps we could describe it as a lifetime gift. The things that we own in this world are like a lifetime gift to us. Because I've already said you can't take them with you. You're not going to go to heaven and say, oh, I'll have my house and my car. Your house and your car, no matter how grand and expensive and amazing they are, will look cheap and tacky and rubbish in heaven. Because heaven's perfect. And the riches of this world can't compare to what heaven is going to be like. And so the, the, the stuff that we own in this life is just for this lifetime. So we could say it's like a, a lifetime gift, a free lifetime gift. Or maybe we could call it uh, a long-term loan. God lends to us for that period of time. But what we must remember is that there is a responsibility, there is a duty of care to what God gives us to possess. And now we come to our, our third principle this morning. God has made us his stewards. A steward is someone who looks after things. And God makes us his steward. And again, going back to that eighth commandment, you shall not steal, implies that you have property to take care of. Do you like it when someone steals from you? Do you promote stealing? Do you say, look, come, come, come to my house. I will leave the shutters open. I will leave the doors open. Come and take my things. No, houses have got alarms. Houses might have big dogs in the garden to scare off people. Cars have got alarms on them. We protect things, don't we? And, and God has given us this responsibility to protect and care for the things that he has given to us. We, we look after what we've been given. 
If you lend something to somebody and they bring it back to you broken, how do you feel? Very often what happens is they give it back to you and everything looks fine. And the next time you get out to use it, you realize that it is broken, yeah? You see, if we lent something, we should be looking after it, shouldn't we? We, we should give it back as it was given to us. And, and not looking after what God has given to us, what God has lent to us for this time on earth, it's like thief. Not using what God has given you properly is, is no less than theft from God. That's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? If you are not using what God has given you as God intended you to use it, as he set out in his word, you are stealing from God. And on Judgment Day, on the list of all the things that you've done, item 2,034A will be outlined how you didn't use God's resources properly. It's serious. Now, doing what's right won't save us. We're only saved through Christ. But if we've been saved by Christ, how much more would we want to do what God tells us to do? You see, back in Genesis, when he had Adam and Eve, that perfect couple, made in God's image, without sin. He said to them in chapter 1, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. God gave to Adam and Eve the responsibility, the stewardship of the world and everything in it. And and in many ways, we, we look on now and we can see what a good job in many ways through God's kindness that man has done. We can fly around this world in aeroplanes. We can communicate on mobile phones. And this is us subduing and having dominion over the world. And we can give thanks to that. But at the same time, he had man to tend it, to subdue it, to have dominion over it, and to look after it as God intended. But then when man sinned, And evil came into the world and everything went wrong. Our subduing and our dominion is not in line with God. And so we can look at it like this. For the last 8,000-ish years since this world was created, every last bit of wealth Every innovation, every bit of technology has been given from God to us. And as he's given us all of this, we are to subdue it and have dominion over it and to be stewards of it. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, it says... Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Now, this is speaking in regard to the ministry in the first instance. But also there's a principle in general here. 
And a principle in general that is echoed in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. God entrusts things to us and we are to steward them and we're to use them well and we're to use them to his glory. And so today we've seen that God owns everything. We've seen that God is the author of private ownership of property. We've seen that God has made us his stewards. Money is not yours. It's God's. God is the creator. God is the owner. And the money that you have, the money that we have as a church, is at best lent to us. And so where should that lead us? And in, in closing, I just want to sort of bring some application here just specifically to this situation. If God owns everything, we have to worship him. So let me say that properly. As God owns everything, the only thing that we can do is bow down and worship him and praise him. And as we praise him and worship him for being the God who is the creator and the owner and the sustainer of everything, we also should take a step back and be thankful. Everyone, as I look around here today, is clothed. Everyone managed to get here. You have got some wealth in your pockets. You have some money. And I'm sure that for some of you, your situation is tight and difficult. And there'll be degrees of wealth and there'll be degrees of uh, challenging chimes with money. But nonetheless, we can all take a step back and thank God for what we've had. And, And this is what we must do. We must thank God that he is the God who owns everything. And he's given us private ownership of things. He has blessed you with stuff. He is, when did you last thank God for your mobile phone? The thing that you, it's always in your hands. It's always, Pastor Andrews never thanked God for a mobile phone because he's not got one. (laughs) And he's thankful for that. But these things that we have as assets, these things that we own, when do we last thank God for them? When did you last thank God for the, 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 the little TL and courage that was in your pocket? When did you last thank God for the, the, the time you could buy some ekmek or, or buy some rice or enjoy some jollof rice or maybe on a big occasion you could eat goat? We should be thankful to God because the God who owns everything has entrusted stuff to us, to you and to me. As a church, are we as thankful as we should be? We're in this building. The air conditioning is on. We're sat comfortably. Why is that? Because God has blessed us with this. As Christians, so often we complain. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. My prayer for this wasn't answered. My prayer for that wasn't answered. And we go around listing the things we haven't got and we forget about the magnitude of what God has given us. And so friends, as God owns everything and as he is the creator and the author of private ownership, we should be coming in thankfulness to him. We should be worshipping him. We should be praising him. And we should be asking this question. 
how do I best steward what God has given to me? How do I best steward the allowance I get? How do I best use the money that is in my bank account? How do we as a church best use the tithes and the gifts and the offerings that God has blessed us with? How do we use these things best because we are his stewards and this is his money and we should be saying to God, what should we do with it? The world is giving us a thousand and one things to do with our money. And we shouldn't look at those. We should be going to our Heavenly Father and saying, what should we do with this? Everything is yours. You've blessed us with ownership of stuff. Help us, Heavenly Father, to use it rightly. And the next few Sundays as we go forward through God's word, with God's help, we'll be exploring how to steward God's money correctly as a church and how to steward God's money correctly as individuals. But what I would like to give you now is just a moment to worship God and give thanks to him for all that he's given you and blessed you with.